Welcome to the Price Vault Podcast. Today's April 11th, 2023, and uh, you're going to be listening to this a little bit more in the future. So we are here with Spencer Lynn of Koss, and Spencer is Northeast uh, sales manager extraordinaire on LinkedIn, especially. We see some incredible posts from you. Uh, I met you in person at the Arnold, and uh, we had a great time. So I wanted to get you on the podcast because you recently ran an ultra marathon, and we need to hear some stories here. So congratulations on finishing. It's like just such a epic thing so uh briefly feel free to introduce yourself to us and let's uh let's get into it let's talk about you and then let's talk about costs yeah so like you mentioned i, I just ran an ultra marathon not not just any ultra marathon either is actually a hundred miler which is i mean just about as far as you could go uh, I'm, the, I'm the northeast regional manager for costs we have a, a line of usda certified plant protein powder um we also have our, our reds and our greens blends of uh, like functional single ingredients like a beetroot powder and acai powder uh, lion's mane powder um, and you know, we started off 2019 pretty much entirely D to C and on Amazon. And then since then we've, we've rolled out pretty heavily into retail distribution. Um, so I will say our, our target target demo is not price plows target demo. Our target demo is probably like price plows, mom or price plows, girlfriends or wife's target demo, maybe price plows, like, you know, brother-in-law's target demo who like goes to the gym two or three days a week, but you know, doesn't really work that hard there. So we're, we're more of like a general health and wellness company. We're not, you know, your hardcore gym bro company. But at the end of the day, we kind of all have the same goals. And that should be, you know, giving consumers as many healthy and beneficial options as possible, you know, especially in retail. Um, we're starting to see a lot of more, a lot more supplement companies um, moving into retail. And it's, it's cool. And I'm a fan of that, too. I kind of take the approach to like a rising tide lifts all ships. Um you know, brands like Caged, we just saw them get into Wegmans. Um, VMI Sports does really well in Giant Eagle. They're all over the place in Giant Eagle. So, you know, I, I welcome as many as many sports nutrition, as many health and wellness brands in retail as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, and so and what, what I love about the way you're working is that you're showing this stuff, uh, your hustle on LinkedIn. And so mm -hmm. it's you're busy and I can. Mm -hmm. I, and so, yeah, we've kind of been watching the trajectory of everything you've been doing. Um and so, but it was, it was honestly speaking. And so I have tasted your product. There's a review back there. I was kind of doing a blind flavor yeah. review because you're that confident in your vegan protein um, compared against my favorite uh, vanilla vegan and your chocolate was, it was incredible. So definitely a fan would. Um, and so, yeah, and we are, you know, we're reaching out to other individuals. We'll always be more sports nutrition heavy. That's just, mm -hmm. you know, where we've come from. Um, but it was honestly, it was the ultra the ultra marathon, or I'm not even sure what you call it. If it's like a centurion or something like 100 that, hundred miler. Yeah. hundred miler. The hundred miler is really what got our attention. And, um, it seems like it was, it was pretty brutal, but a lot of, and a lot of people dropped out, but you didn't. So I'd like to like kind of get your, your personal background and like, yeah, what makes one do such a thing? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I've been asked that a lot. So I guess just my personal background, I grew up playing sports my whole life. Um, started, you know, dabbling in every sport when I was young and then kind of focused in on football right around eighth, eighth, ninth grade. And then from there I found the gym, right. That's kind of, I think a lot of people's first step is, is getting into the gym as they started playing football, started, you know, going into strength and conditioning in high school. And uh, I really just fell in love with the gym. I saw what it did to my body. I saw what it did to my performance on the field. And then that, you know, falling in love with the gym and training kind of snowballed into supplements. I remember my parents would take me to our local gym. They'd, they'd drop me off. I'd get my workout in and then I'd call them at the end of my workout to come pick me up. And I'd sit up in the front of the gym and uh, they had all the muscle magazines up there, all you know, the muscle fitness, the flex. And I would just, you know, look through those muscle magazines. I would find new workouts to do. And of course, you you see all the supplement ads. And this was circa 
I don't know, 2005, 2006. So like right at the peak of those muscle magazines when brands like Muscle Tech and BSN were just like bombarding advertisements in there. So, you know, you see you see all those, the supplement ads and then that was like, just like the next logical step was like, oh, I got to take creatine now. I'm 15, I'm 14 years old. I got to take creatine. You know, the older guys on the football team are all taking creatine. So mm. I remember going <laughs> I remember going to my parents and asking them, hey, mom, dad, can I, can I take creatine? And just the default answer is no, you know, they see a label and it says not for use under 18, not, you know, not for use under anybody under 18 years old. Like no, for me, wasn't good enough at that time. So like the gym had a GNC about a mile and a half away from the gym in a shopping plaza. So now I'd get my workout in the gym. And instead of going on sitting up front, waiting for my parents to come home, I would walk to GNC, go in and buy creatine and either the GNC person was selling me creatine when I wasn't 18, or I would kind of just wait outside until some older person was walking in and I would ask them to buy creatine for me. So I was kind of doing what, what people do at like beer distributors and liquor stores, waiting outside to those asking the older person to buy me a beer or something, but I was asking them to buy me creatine. So that's kind of how I just like fell in love with supplements. Um, and then from there, I actually I went on to play football in college. I believe it or not, I used to weigh 230 pounds. Um, I was kind of like a big meat stick of a dude. I'm not that anymore. I'm like 170 pounds right now on a good day. Um, but I went on to play football in college, uh, and then one year professionally overseas in Germany. Um, came home, joined the military, and then once I got out of the military, this is kind of where my my um, my journey into the supplement world really began. Well, I had been interested in it the whole time I was in the military, you know, my own health and fitness and everything. Um, and just, you know, keeping, keeping track of, you know, what, what was new, what was trending in the supplement world. I mean, I always took pre-workout, ate healthy, ate, ate all my protein, you know, it was always tied into supplements and everything. And, um, so as I was transitioning out of the military, your last three months in service, uh, you can apply for a program called the career skills program. And that allows you to do a civilian internship to prepare for your transition back into the civilian world out of the military. And at the time I was, you know, trying to find somewhere to do my, my internship. I was trying to find, find somewhere cool to do it somewhere that it was interesting to me. They have, the military has a kind of default programs that they could put you in where you work logistics in a warehouse for a company that does contracting with the military, or, you know, you can handle their supply and logistics for trucks that already do contracting with the military. But I wanted to do, you know, something different. I wanted to go out and find my own thing. You know, still being very interested and being very, um, you know, involved in the supplement world, just as a fan, really, as like on the outside looking in, I'd always followed Compound Solutions on Instagram, and I knew who they were because of you know Teacreen, Dynamine, Pico Two, just following along. And um, one day they had they they had in their stories. I was just looking through their stories the one day, and I saw this guy, guy who big tatted up guy, big beard. Uh, you know, big muscular guy. And I'm thinking like, who the heck is this guy? Cause I always had like a very buttoned up image of compound solutions. Like they're very professional. They're very, um, you know, just dialed in and, and business like all the time, but there's this big tatted up guy in their stories. I'm thinking like, who the heck is this guy? So I'm, I'm, you know, flipping through the stories and I say, okay, Vaso six, I know what that is. Oh, this is the guy behind Vaso six. It ended up being Matt Nickerson. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Matt Nickerson. So he was doing an ask me anything. He was taking over their stories for that day. He was at their headquarters. And he was doing an ask me anything. So I kind of just, I don't know. I, I don't know what prompted me to do it, but I just shot him a question in the ask me anything sticker that he put on his stories. So what does somebody want to do to get their foot in the door in the supplement industry? Like what's the best way to go about that? And I was like, he's never going to respond to me. Compound Solutions has like 60,000 followers on Instagram. I'm never going to get a response. Five, like five minutes later, I get a notification. He responds, he tags me in it. And it's just, he kind of does like the thinking emoji face. He made a video. He kind of did like the thinking emoji face. And he was like, send me a DM. 
like, all right, I jumped down this rabbit hole. So I sent him a DM, explained my situation that I'm transitioning out of the military. I'm in this program where I can do an internship in the civilian world. Like, is there anything I can do for Bezos six? Is there anything I can do to be your personal assistant? I don't know. It's an internship, whatever. And he got back to me like later that day. And he said, uh, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. And I'll get back to you the next day or something. I'm like, he's never going to get back to me. This guy's like a million followers on Instagram. It's whatever it is, what it is. I followed up with him the next day and I said, Hey, you know, just, just wanted to see if you thought of anything. And he ended up giving me the email address for, for, uh, Kelsey Olinoff, who is the marketing director at compound solutions. And he said, reach out to her and explain to her what you just explained to me. So further down the rabbit hole, sure enough, I, I sent Kelsey an email. I was thinking she's never going to respond. She's a, the director of marketing at compound solutions who some random guy sending her an email. Sure enough, she responded and said, that's interesting. We'd, we'd, like to take a look at making, you know, bringing you in as an intern. Um, I guess long story short, at this point, I kind of in interviewed with, you know, the whole company to include Matt Titlow um, and then Kim, the president at Compound Solutions. She decided to, to kind of create a spot for me as an intern. Uh, I interned there for, for three months, mostly in the marketing department, but I also got to touch a little bit of sales and a little bit of operations there as well. Um, at the end of the three months, my internship was over. I was transitioning out of the military at that point and kind of, I, did so well at my internship that they decided to offer me a job on the spot. So first day I got out of the military, I started with Compound Solutions. And I was with them for about two years. That was kind of my my roundabout way that I got in the supplement industry. Um, but I think that's a pretty cool story. You know, and I'll, be, I'll forever be grateful to, to Matt Nickerson and Kelsey Olinoff at Compound Solutions for just kind of taking a chance on some random guy on Instagram. So that's awesome. I, I, Matt has a bit of a cult following in the sports supplement industry. Yeah. I'm sure anyone watching this knows or listening, <laughs> but he's a great guy. And uh, I, he always loves to help people out, which is it. It, it can be hard to uh, get into this industry. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sure you can you can appreciate with with your journey. And uh, I, that's probably a question I get every single day of the week on our Q&A's is how do I get in? And, and um, it. I don't, you're the second person I know who like from outside of this industry found their way in on purpose. Mm -hmm. Most people are not willing to honestly eat shit. Like, <laughs> like, like my in was, was, uh, working in customer service for a year. You know, like I got offered a spot, but like you had to work your way up and most people want to like come out of the gates formulating for Glaxon. They don't want to. Yeah you know, be an intern or, or find their way up. So they want to come out of the gates, like directing sales for ghost or something like it's, yeah, it's... a lot of people start at GNC or vitamin shop and they get found from there. It's, it is hard to get in, in, into this industry that way. I mean, I'm, like I said, I had to do an internship, an unpaid internship for three months, but it ended up paying off. Um, and that now that I'm in this industry, I don't plan on going anywhere. I, I, I love this industry. I'm a fan of the industry that I work in. I mean, I would listen to the price pop podcast way back since it started. I remember, I distinctly remember one that you guys did live at the Arnold. Ben, I think you're still with Nutribio. It's so time, funny. It was the it. guest. Yeah. That was the yeah, first episode. Yeah. yeah. I, I distinctly remember watching that and thinking like, this is the coolest podcast. This is the coolest industry there is. And I want to be in it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, well, we're glad you are and everything. We, um, <laughs> Yeah, we've definitely made a commitment and hopefully and people have noticed like we are doing these every week and you can see like we mm -hmm. scheduled you up and we're we're serious about this. We should honestly be at episode 200. Um hey, but you know what? The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Otherwise, best time is now. So, yeah. we're doing it. And, and um and so yeah, we appreciate you noticing. I didn't I didn't know you'd listen to that. That was a fun time and uh that was that, that was where Ben and I first headed off. So, that was a, not that podcast itself but that trip really in general. So, that was a 
an incredible time. It is I a just, great I industry. I just remember that being like a unique podcast because you guys did it live, like at the Arnold. Were you guys in the, the Hyatt? Is that where you were? We were literally in the lobby of that hotel. We That's where everything happens. We just took over yeah. the lobby, yeah. That, That's yeah. Where everything happens at the Arnold. That's like the secret spot. Yeah, but like the, the you're usually at the bar upstairs. Uh, if you go down yeah. the escalator, there there's a little spot with like computers you can like print stuff out at. And there used to be like a big like dining room table for whatever reason. It's not there anymore. It's probably because someone podcasted there in the, middle of the lobby, honestly. <laughs> no, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Two guys almost fought over beta alanine that day. <laughs> we oh, CJ and I got into a heated <laughs> argument about beta alanine. That was funny. Yeah. Um, awesome. So wait, I gotta go back to you played some prof- uh some professional football in Germany. You're yeah. 230 pounds. What yeah. position were you playing? How how tall are you? I, I I'm six I'm six one and okay. I was a linebacker. So I was yeah six one awesome. two three. Like I, said, I was a, a meat stick, just a big bulky dude. If you guys would see pictures of me back then, you wouldn't even think I'm the same person now. Well, now um, we have to show some for the show. We're gonna need so, them. Yeah, yeah, I'll find some. Yeah, I'll find some for sure. I was yeah, I was a big dude. So um, I played overseas in Germany. If you guys, I, you guys might be old enough to remember NFL Europe. You guys remember mm-hmm. NFL Europe yep, at all? I do. So like it, it folded in like 2006 or 2007, but like the remnants of it still exist over there. Like there's still like a, a hardcore like niche following of American mm-hmm. football in Europe. That, so that's that's where I played for a year. Uh, it was a great that's experience. Awesome. Obviously, you're not making NFL money. I mean, I, they paid me like a thousand bucks a month and gave me a, a crappy apartment to live in. But uh, it was, I got to travel all over Europe and play, keep playing football for another year. So that was cool. Yeah, that's a good, that's like a great experience. Like, yeah. Um, some people they know exactly what they want to do want to get right after it but like taking a, a year to do, do something crazy yeah. like that like dude you, you're not going to be able to do that when you're my age you know so yeah do it I took, when you're 22 I took, or whatever that, i took you know. two weeks as well and, and backpacked solo by myself and mm-hmm. i made it to like 14 different countries in two weeks it was incredible hopped on a train every night and then wake up in a new city the next day it was amazing nice yeah so i actually met spencer before you mike i don't know if you know yeah. this but at the summit yeah. this year yeah um, and Spencer had a really cool uh, talk at the Sports Nutrition Summit, which I think kind of like maybe like arches this this conversation, is mm-hmm. which was about nutrition and military. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really eye opening conversation uh, because obviously, like that's kind of like you know our country's highest level of athletes, or we would hope so. Um, during that time of your life, like was that was that something you were focusing on? Was nutrition and 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 fitness was that a focus at that point, or is this kind of like a a retrospective interest of yours now? No, that's a great question. I, I would say health, fitness, sports, nutrition, supplements is something that I've always been interested in. Like, like I said, way back when I started looking at the muscle magazines when I was 14, 15 years old in the gym. Um, so even in the military, I was still very, very interested in fitness, especially because I, I was a platoon leader. I was an infantry platoon leader in the army. So I'm responsible for a platoon of 42 dudes. And that includes our, our daily training, our daily PT every morning. Um, so, you know, not only for my own purposes, but I stay in very good shape, but for my platoon as well, I was, you know, responsible for coming up with the workout program for those guys every day. Um, and then, you know, I would try to educate them as much as possible on diet and staying away from alcohol and stop smoking cigarettes. And, you know, if you are going to go to GNC, don't just buy what the guy there tells you to, you should, you know, look into good pre-workout ingredients and make sure you're getting a quality protein powder and make sure you're hitting your daily protein intake every day. And I would say, I kind of talked about this in, in my, my speech at this the sports and active nutrition summit, it was kind of like an 80, 20, right? Like 80% of our platoon was pretty squared away. And then 20% were like the knuckleheads that would, you know, they would show up to PT hungover in the morning, but they'd still be able to run five miles relatively quickly. So I would just imagine what those guys could do if they took stuff a little more seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's what, that was always what kind of informs like an 80, 20, my platoon what sergeant was, and I. So yeah. yeah. What was the food situation like for you at least? So that's a good question too. So that's another thing I talked about in my, my talk at uh, the sports and active nutrition summit was, 
the the military's default food in the field is an MRE, which I'm sure you're from meal ready to eat, that little brown plastic baggie that has like all kind of crappy, just seed oil loaded, just nasty, like basically like Campbell's chunky soup in like pouches that you can eat on the go. That's like what most of an MRE is. And it's not good quality nutrition. But I mean, the trade-off is it has to be shelf stable for a long time in tough conditions. It has to be relatively light and easy to carry and pack in your rucksack and um, maneuver around. So yeah, the, the food situation in the military isn't ideal. What my hopes for the sports nutrition, sports and active nutrition summit was, I, I knew I was presenting to a room full of academics and businessmen and very smart people. I kind of wanted to like show where the gaps in the military's nutrition and, and supplement world exist. And then hopefully somebody in that room much smarter than myself could exploit one of those gaps and make a lot of money for themselves or something. Cause there's big money in government contracts and there's plenty of gaps and plenty of room for improvement in how the military handles not only supplements, but you know, sports, sports, sports nutrition as well. Could you, I, I mean, that was like an hour long talk. I mean, could, could you maybe cover some of the other stuff? I mean, I listened to that. I learned a lot about like the shortcomings for like maybe hit like maybe two or other three, like other things that you found to be like big detriments to our military's nutrition. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, they, they have done a better job as, as of lately. Um, they, they've come out with like food guides, um, like the, the warrior nutrition guide is like a 112 page document that's been published and it's easily accessible, um, you know, for anybody in the military. And it does actually go pretty in depth as far as it even mentions the Shea and things like that, that are pretty, you know, intricate in the supplement world. So they, they have been doing better since, you know, since I've got out, it seems like, um, but I mean, at, at the time, the, the hardest thing to implement is just, it's on such a big scale. So you really need to kind of empower like the lower level leaders, like myself as a platoon leader, where I can affect 42 guys that are under my direct control. Instead of like big army trying to instantly impact a million people in the army, you need to educate like the leaders at the lowest level. And then they need to educate their guys on proper nutrition, on proper supplementation. Um, I guess as far as you could say, like supplements go in, in an MRE, like you have what's called like a first strike bar and it's kind of like a crappy imitation of a cliff bar maybe an rx bar so it's like a crappy imitation of an rx bar and like they kind of bill it as like it's supposed to be healthy but it like the first ingredients corn 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 syrup so like right off the bat like not that healthy and then um they have like a, a kind of like a knockoff gatorade powder that they'll put in an mre um so there's just so much more room for somebody to come along and just innovate and, and make something that, I mean, there's no reason that every soldier, at least every combat soldier shouldn't be taking like beta alanine, creatine, Pico two, I don't know, maybe three or four other good ingredients every day and just put that in a powder and put that in every MRE and just take it every day. So you're talking think, about when people are just deployed and out in the field, right? Is yeah, that yeah, what yeah. you were focusing on? Okay. Yeah, but this yeah. is different than what's served like in a barracks if you're um, at boot camp or something like that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, when you're in, when you're in garrison, when you're in that, that home environment, um, the, the military is called a DFAC dining facility. So DFAC for short, uh, DFAC's really no different than like a college cafeteria is the best way to describe it. So, I mean, there are plenty of healthy options. I mean, you could go to the salad bar, you could get some chicken, you know, plenty of healthy options too, but then they have a dessert bar right around the corner with ice cream and cookies and you can just as easily go the other route. So <laughs> Um, yeah, when you're when you're in that home garrison environment, it's kind of up to the individual on on you know your own willpower and how you can, I don't know, structure your diet yourself. You have that flexibility, but 
when you're deployed or when you're in a field environment and you're living off of MREs, I think that's where the biggest room for improvement is because it is so bad right now. And uh, it wouldn't take much to, to make it a lot better. What you said in your uh, speech about, the, it was kind of like the breakdown of the calories that are involved in the uh, whole yeah. MRE pack was impactful to me. Because also when you, you, I think you also put it like in reference, like if you're, you know, these guys in combat are actually moving quite long distances, right? And they're mm -hmm. carrying how, however many pounds of equipment, like total calories actually really does matter. So mm -hmm. like having a dextrose powder with electrolytes, you know, like a lot of people will look at a bottle of Gatorade and say, that's not healthy for kids to be drinking. When you're a 200 pound man right. and you're hiking 12 miles and you have a hundred pounds of equipment on your back, electrolytes and dextrose isn't really the worst thing, right. but there's a lot of other parts of that package where I thought there could have been better decisions being made. Mm. Um, but then you started to break down like the weight of it, the durability of it, the the way that they can transfer it. You start to look at like a logistics issue as well. Mm. It's and it, it and you start to realize like oh maybe some of this actually these concessions are being made for a good reason. Uh, and I, I know Mike would like every one of our soldiers to be eating a ribeye every single day, but like <laughs> me too. And, well, yeah, and of course that's, that's of course best case scenario. But I guess it comes down. I I get down to wondering like. How long are people deployed for? How long are, you know, like, how long are they on these stints? Like Mike and I were talking to um, Zach Flannery at Glaxon, one of their newer hires is, is a veteran. And he's talking about they were on a, a trip for, what was it, like 70 days where they didn't have water to shower with? Like, so you realize, like, how, what's what's the length of this time where they're doing this you're, to their you're not you're not you're not supposed to be on you're not supposed to eat be eating mres more than like 21 days in a row like that's supposed to be like the upper limit now does it happen definitely but that's that's supposed to be like the max limit for days in a row of mres and it's typically three mres a day is, is what you're given and that comes out to less than four thousand calories and and ben to your point like when you're moving underweight and you know up and down mountains and carrying you know carrying equipment in the heat you're burning way more than 4000 calories a day so that be, that's where you know things like protein and supplements could become even more important when you're operating in a caloric deficit that just increases the importance of protein and other supplements yeah yeah and the, the issue is that protein's expensive so mm -hmm. uh, and like point. honestly this country does not seem serious about its protein sources like we, we are of course but um on a national level it it seems like almost the opposite and that's one of the most important things and then just finding a way to pack as many calories in for these um, mm -hmm. for these guys on the move is got to be just a, a major challenge. But do you, do you foresee? So are the MREs, they're not created by the government, are they? They're probably third party uh, contracts yeah. and yeah. all that. So yeah. that so it sounds like that, that's some something that you'd like to disrupt at some point. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I need a lot of capital to get that started up. But yeah, there's oh, yeah. A, definitely an opportunity there. If, if you could keep it, you know, keep the cogs down relatively. And then, you know, I mean, find a, and find a way to prove that to the, the decision makers in the government that, hey, if we do this, if we supplement our infantry soldiers with creatine, beta alanine, Pico2, citrulline every single day, it's going to significantly improve their performance over time mm -hmm. and also keep the cogs down. Yeah, there could be a play there. That's why, again, I was presenting to a room full of people much smarter than myself. Hopefully somebody yeah. in that, that summit will take that idea and run with it. There's got to there's got to be some reason for this because I, I mean, militaries around the world have been using their men for studies for a very long time. Like, <laughs> yeah. A lot of our our caffeine data is from our military. Yeah. Um, 
I'm sure you probably were there during this, but Sean Arendt at Rutgers was doing studies on T-creatine and dynamine on military members a couple of years back. Like there, there's been a lot of data. And, and to me, I mean, if we supposedly want to have the strongest, best military in, in the world, like it would make sense that we at some point have probably tried, you know, what happens if we give our soldiers creatine. It seems almost like ridiculous that this isn't already happening. Or there's Yeah, no I agree. Yeah, I don't know what that reason is, but I agree. It seems like it's it's too easy of a solution to not have had already. Right. Yeah. What about uh, what about caffeine? Obviously, energy drinks are a big thing out there. Uh, is is oh, there yeah. caffeine provided within the MREs ever? Yeah, actually, there's uh, gum. There's caffeine chewing gum in the MREs. Every MRE comes with two pieces of caffeine chewing gum. So that's actually that's actually a pretty nice thing that, that they have in there. Yeah, I've actually seen some studies on caffeine-based gums. That, okay, and that, yeah. now it makes sense because I was like, I didn't realize there was any there were that many commercial products to make it worth a study but yeah now looking back at that was probably yeah, like you mentioned uh energy drinks too just huge in the military bang is the official sponsor of the united states army so not really <laughs> but, um yeah was, what, what the, ones before that? the ones before that were called what rippets Rip, rippets were the rippets were the ones that have like a cult following in the army especially with the older yeah. people because at one point those were the those were the only energy drinks you could get in iraq or afghanistan so like the older people in the army like to this day, we'll like buy Rippets by the case via, you know, via like D to C if they can even still find it. I don't even know if they make Rippet anymore. <laughs> That's, <awesome. laughs> That's interesting to me. So I guess before, because I want to get back to costs and and your yeah. move from compound solutions to there. Um, just before we get out of this section, I, I'd love to know your thoughts on, I'd say supplements marketing to the military. Because there's yeah. been a few stabs at this over the years. And um yeah. I, I want you to take this and you're unadulterated. So I don't want to say any brands and call them out, yeah. but it seems to me like a lot of them aren't even veterans themselves. So I've authenticity to me is a big deal. I've always been kind of interested in how someone like yourself would see people marketing yeah. towards that. I, I, I talked about this in my speech a little bit too, at the sports and active nutrition summit was that some of the more popular brands in the military, I mean, number one, I would say is probably Redcon. They do an outstanding job of marketing to the military and that's probably not, um, you know, to Ben's point about authenticity, I don't think anybody involved with Redcon was in the military, but I know they do. They do. They are involved with the charity that gives back. Um, so there is a little bit of authenticity to that piece. But I've always been more partial to brands where you know the, their the founders were in the military. Um, um, BPN Nick Bear is somebody I kind of um, would say is a bit of a role model just from his hybrid athleticism and then also what he does in the business world and the fact that he was is a veteran as well. Um, and then actually my buddy, John, so that right there is uh, John at UXO supplements. That's his daily essentials. I was um, going to mention him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. And um, actually that's that, that product is up there. When I was at compound solutions, that was the first project that I worked on that came to market. So we got our Xylo oligosaccharide and his daily essential multivitamin. And I was, you know, I worked with him on that. And that was actually the first product that you know, I was able to, to work on it eventually came out. So that, that's some sentimental value to me right there. And the fact that John's a buddy too. So yeah, I, I do try to support those, um, the actual veteran owned companies a little more. Now what Redcon one does, I don't have a problem with it. They, cause they do give back. I know they're involved with some charities that do give back to, to the military. And then, um, kind of at the end of the day too, like, uh, like I said, at the beginning of this was anybody who is giving people options to, to make good, healthy choices and, and be beneficial for their performance. Like I'm cool with it at the end of the day. I know, I know you guys are kind of big on like supporting people, but that, you know, that is why I do also would rather, you know, support veteran owned brands, especially when I'm buddies with John like that. Like that's, that's definitely my go-to veteran owned company right there is UXO. 
Did you know John before you worked with him for that project? No, I didn't. Um, and that's, that's, yeah. So we worked together on that project. And then this is another cool little caveat of a story was that, um, what has it been, it has been 2001, 2000, I oh, geez, I'm losing track of the years now. It was a couple of years ago, uh, Memorial day weekend, John through UXO supplements was doing, um, a charity event in Boise, Idaho, where he lives. And it was, it was called Ruck 100. So his goal was to ruck 100 miles over Memorial day weekend. And I uh, kind of, he kind of, well, I kind of, I think I invited myself. I was like, Hey dude, I'm coming to do this with you. I don't care. So I flew out to Boise, Idaho. Um, and then over that Memorial day weekend, we rucked a uh, hundred miles through, through all of Boise, which if you guys have never been to Boise, it's absolutely beautiful there. Um, they have like a, it's called the green belt. It's like a, a trail, like a bike trail that goes all the way through Boise up to the reservoir, like up the mountain to the reservoir. Um, and it's beautiful the way that nature there is just like integrated into the city. So it was just an amazing route that we rucked that whole weekend and, we, you know, rucked a hundred miles. We carried a flag. We were all wearing our rucksacks and everything. And we ended up raising, I think like $7,000 for, for mission 22, which is a, a nonprofit organization that's aimed at increasing awareness for veteran suicide and, and trying to prevent that. So yeah, it was a great weekend. And it was cool to, cool to work with John on his, on his product. And then also go out there and, and do that ruck with him. We love John. He's a he's a super cool guy. For anyone who's listening or watching who doesn't know John Clipstein, um, you're missing out. But you probably if you don't know John, you might not be a lot on TikTok. John is actually like really successful at TikTok, um, which I think is hilarious because he's like not the t- not what you would think. Yeah, I mean he's like yeah. this like veteran guy. You know, I, I, he's, he's kind a, of a gym meat guy. Head, yeah, kind ass, of a meat yeah. head. Like, yeah. but he makes these. He does these. You know what I like about him is he does these videos. Uh, it's like taking the competition's pre-workout. And he, and he yeah. talks about like other people's pre-workout. And he's created this like price plow platform with while he owns a brand. And it is such an interesting thing going on. So that's that's really cool. I've, I feel a lot of the same way. Um, I don't really have a problem with what Redcon does because they do give a lot back to a lot of foundations. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of that. But I always like to ask veterans of that because some people... I guess some people like feel like to to have that motif or whatever you should you should have earned that or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think Redcon has has gotten bigger than than just veterans as well. Yeah, for sure. on, they were very military themed. Um, but yeah, UXO is, is a is a really cool brand that we've we've gotten the, the to, to work with a few times. Yeah, I like I send it send it's a great pre workout. And then um, if you guys have ever had his, his blueberry cobbler protein is awesome. It has like little blueberry inclusions in it. Really good. Oh, cool. And he nice. nailed it. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. So, all right. So uh, I really just wanted to ask you that stuff to kind of help you um, segue through. So Compound Solutions, you work at for how long? I was, I was with Compound for about two years. I was in sales. Uh, I was under Kyle Adams. If you guys, I'm sure you guys know Kyle. Oh, wow, He's yeah. a man. I uh, couldn't <laughs> have asked for a better person to, to learn sales from initially. Um, I mean, Kyle, I think Kyle could talk to the wrong number for like 20 minutes. And at the end of that call, he would be best friends with that person and probably be invited to, you know, that person's wedding or whatever like kyle's just the man the first um, time i yeah. met kyle like i was that wrong number i think like <laughs> like we were just he was just like oh you're ben from price Flat. i was i just knew he was with compound we just talked for i don't think i even knew his name like for the whole conversation yeah. it, was, it was he's he's the easiest person to talk to so I, i'm sure you learned a lot from him with sales absolutely i did and then i mean obviously being you know learning from matt too i kind of feel like anytime matt talked to the sales team it was like pencil and paper out, like taking notes, like I'm back in college just because he's just a genius and a wealth of information. Um, and Ch- Chaz Jones was on our sales team too at that time. He's with Jocko Hell yeah. now. Hell and yeah. I, so just a, it, was a, it was a great team. Um, I really, really loved working at Compound Solutions. I kind of compared it to like 
uh, I'm, you know, football guy, obviously I kind of compared it to like getting drafted by like the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like you're some like nobody sixth round draft pick out of college. And then you're with this like legacy team all of a sudden. And now you're, you know, when it comes to ingredient suppliers, like compound solutions is definitely, you know, a legacy ingredient supplier. So I just felt like I was like with the best team I could possibly be at in my you know very first job in this industry. So I was very fortunate with that. But I mean, I, I did, I did kind of have to work to earn it. I mean, I worked for, you know, as an internship unpaid and then that turned into a job offer because I, I proved myself. So. Yeah. Uh, Mike and I, obviously we kind of like, uh, share notes with each other on the side just so we can keep uh, stuff but he he noted i one thing that i've always said is that like compound solutions was like the company that took an ingredient and made it like a household name like mm-hmm. t-creating dynamine like mm-hmm. i always make this joke but i had friends during that period that would say i need a pre-workout with t-creen and they wouldn't even know what t-creen was but they knew they needed it and yeah. and you guys created like fomo yeah you know like and and so yeah, it's Spencer, funny. you don't realize what this podcast just did for between Ben and I's personal memes going on. Like, I'm never going to hear the end of this because this is a bit off topic. But when we talk to an ingredient supplier, Ben always uses the story like you want to create a an ingredient that even the customer wants and you know knows that they need. They don't even know what it does, but they need it. You know, we were looking for that effect. And teacrine and dynamine, especially teacrine at that mm-hmm. one point was that that thing so when you said what you said it just <laughs> completely validated everything ben said on like i'd say over a dozen phone calls and so now i'm just gonna uh, it was a big win that. for ben so there good. you go well, so, a little but, behind uh, the scenes price plus stuff so good cool. job <laughs> but yeah i'm sure like spencer you can appreciate like like you were you're a b2b sales rep at a supplement company so, selling to other supplement companies right but the cool thing that compound solutions was able to do is they, they were able to impact b2c they were able to tell customers that they, you know, like whatever. And and I, I it's funny, I, I we do that a lot. We work with supplement companies, everything, but we have to speak to customers. So I have an mm-hmm. immense amount of respect for what Compound Solutions was able to do there because they took end consumers who like really have almost no force in this race. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, the end consumers are not able to to pick and choose ingredients. They buy formulas, but somehow they got them to create demand with companies that they needed these ingredients. I mean. They almost, they almost made tea cream like bigger than the company itself. It was the face of the company. Yeah. The flagship ingredient, the same way brands have flagship products. I I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I would, I would bet a decent amount of money that more people know what tea cream dynamine or Pico two are than know what compound solutions is. Well, the the craziest thing to me is, is so often people don't even realize that tea cream is actually theocrine. It's it's like, it's like bandaid and a, a bandage. Like, yeah. Everybody knows the brand name instead of knowing the actual thing, and that's yeah. a perfect example of Theocrine. Yeah, when I worked at, at Nutribio, we had our like R and D flavor guy would always call it Theocrine, and I was like, "Dude, you're saying it wrong, it's <laughs> Theocrine." And then I, 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 I was wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, the reason I was asking how long you were a compound is how, how did you end up coming to costs from that? Yeah, um, another just interesting rabbit hole of a story. So, uh, our chief revenue officer at Cost is a guy named Derek Deerwater who's been in the CPG game for like 30 years. He is like the crafty old veteran. Um, he was with, with nature's bounty. He was with Pfizer. He was with Conagra foods, uh, previous to cost. He was the president of a, a supplement company, supplement, supplement company called nature aid. And he you know built them up and sold them off. And then now he's a, he's the chief revenue officer at cost. And he actually played football at the same college that I played football at. Now he's a good bit older. He played football back in the eighties there. But we just knew each other from that alumni network. Um, he knew I was in sales in the sports nutrition world. Uh, and then when he kind of 
maxed out what one person could do in a sales team at cost. And he had the opportunity to build out his sales team underneath him. Um, we got in touch and he, he just kind of made me an offer. I couldn't refuse to leave cost or to leave compound solutions and come to cost. Um, yeah, just, you know, from, from a financial standpoint, I literally could not turn down his offer. Um, and it's been great. It was, it was definitely tough leaving compound solutions. Like I said, an amazing company to work for. Uh, but I really love what I do now too. I love, I love the role that I have now. Um, I, I oversee all sales in 19 states, everything, Chicago and East and DC and North pretty much. Um, so, you know, I, I'd sell us into retail. I manage the product on shelf once it's in retail. I do, you know, category reviews with the category managers that are retailers. Um, I oversee six different brokerage firms in my region. Uh, I travel to trade shows and events. Um, but yeah, I, I really love the role I have now. I have a lot of autonomy um, and a lot of trust to just go and get the job done. And uh, it's been, I've, I've been fortunate that I, I've been doing pretty well since I started here. Um, we've rolled out into a lot of new retailers here in the Northeast. Um, and then even nationally, I just we just rolled out in the Dick Sporting Goods, which is awesome for me being involved with sports my whole life. Uh, Dick Sporting Goods is headquartered here in Pittsburgh, so I was able to go to their headquarters and you know present to a room full of their decision makers, and they decided to bring us in. And I remember growing up going to Dick Sporting Goods with my family, you know, at the start of every sports season every year, and you know, full circle moment. Now I have a product on shelf there that uh, I put it there, going to their headquarters and, and pitching to them. So it's really cool, full circle moment for me. So uh, that's an awesome story. I think Ben maybe had something to say. Did you, Ben? You I, I was okay. just gonna. I was. I was gonna keep following the conversation. So, Mike, if you if you have something, go for it. Yeah. Okay. So you. Uh, this will get us a little bit into cost. How do you pitch this brand to Dick's Sporting Goods? Like, I don't want you to violate any NDAs or anything. But can you give <laughs> us the give us the Dick's pitch? Yeah. So, I mean, we have great data on our on our um, our velocities in conventional and FDM channels. So I, you know, you take that data now going into a sports retailer is a little bit different than a, a grocery store, but data is still data. So we knew, we knew our velocities. Um, we knew how our product moves on shelf. Dick Sporting Goods was at the time looking to specifically bring in a vegan plant-based protein. They already have uh, several whey protein options. So they were specifically looking for a plant-based protein. We were up against, you know, some of our other typical competitors. Um, I honestly think they may have given me like a little hometown favor because when I went in there, I went in there heavy, like, Hey, I'm from Pittsburgh. I grew up going to Dick's sporting goods all the time with my family. Um, this would be so cool to me to get one of my products on shelf here. Um, so I, I definitely went in heavy with that hometown story and I, that, that part of it paid off, but we also have obviously have the data on our performance to, to back it up. So I don't think they were taking too big of a risk on me. I really like Costa's uh, brand overall. And I love that they let you have a personal brand as a part of that brand. Because like, because to me, like Spencer Lynn is a very powerful brand on its own. And I, but it sounds so I, weird to hear, but. <laughs> it, but it's great. I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't know. We, we just uh, podcasted with Chris Waldrum yesterday. We haven't released it yet, but we had a long talk about that as well. Because like what he does is going to be a personal brand as well. People are going to know him for what he does. And I. I think it is great that they allow you to express yourself in the way that you do on LinkedIn. Well, I mean, I know it's not, it's not up to them to allow that, but it it, it works with the I know brand. What you mean, though. Yeah, I yeah, know what you mean. it it really is synergistic with what you end up going and doing. I mean, during your talk at the summit, you weren't pushing costs. You know, no. there were there were some very nice little areas where it did fit well, but Thank you. you know, there 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 wasn't like a, a push to it, and I don't know. It's funny, like I. I knew Spencer before I knew costs, you know, like, and, and that, that is a powerful thing in itself, mm -hmm. but um, I, I enjoy the brand overall early on. You were talking about, it might not appeal to a lot of uh price block community. And 
that I, I hope is something that we're leaving. I don't want our community to just be uh, heavy sports nutrition anymore. And I think we've made some moves to appeal to a larger group, but I, I do think that costs appeals to like you, you first set, we were first talking about women mostly, but then you started talking about like the brother-in-law or whatever. Yeah. I, th I think that while you guys might have like a softer look than, you know, like a, a hardcore brand, you're not all that soft in itself. Like I think that general health, like general physical, yeah, awareness, yeah. like I, that's something that is, is compelling for a lot of people. Um, and I, I think you guys are nailing that. Yeah. It's and, more earthy than feminine. I, yeah. I, just kind of uh, what yeah. I would put, so that can definitely appeal yeah, to yeah. a pretty good audience for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that is part of the reason we do so well in retail, conventional grocery, natural gourmet grocery, uh, our product, it does, I mean, it jumps off the shelf. It catches the eye, especially in comparison to like our, our biggest competitors, which are your, your organ, your Vega, your purely inspired. And if you look at their labels compared to ours, I mean, they're very bland, very corporate, very like just buttoned up and ours are fun. They have little cartoons on them. They, so they definitely do a good job of, of catching the eye of the consumers in, you know, in a retail space. Um, our labels are, so every, every SKU has its own unique artwork on it, which is pretty cool. It's all done by a guy named Juan Montez. He's like an award-winning doodle artist. They all have these little fun doodles on them. Um, so it's definitely, definitely really cool packaging. It kind of matches our, our company's, um, our company's personality. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that really matters when you're trying to appeal to people who mm -hmm. first off don't want, you know, like insert edgy pre-workout name. Right. Mm -hmm. But also don't want to be buying um, whatever the, the soft effeminate version is. They, they want mm -hmm. something that just is, is good for them. You know, it's kind of like it's like liver king, but without the weirdness, you know, it, <laughs> it, it's it's earthy. It's it's yeah. uh, relatable. And and you know that it's a good choice, but you don't feel like you need to hide it in your pantry. Yeah, I know what you mean. That's a good point. It's cool. You said earthy, too. We, we just got into public lands, which is our first outdoor retailer. Um, and they, they took the, we have a gusset bag version of the protein as well. And they took those gusset bags. They're eco-friendly. They're 25% post-consumer recyclable material. Um, so that was kind of the story we told there that, that, that got us into public lands, which is a, you know, outdoor retailer. So. Yeah. So is that like, that's like an REI type thing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's yep. interesting. I always find it so interesting. These placements that are popping up in like Dick's and REI and stuff like yeah. that, because that's the yeah. last place I would buy supplements. Yeah, I guess yeah. like, yeah, I, that, that's my question to you. How much do these kinds of companies move the needle compared to crushing it on? They're doing well on Amazon or um, grocery. Like does Dick's really mm -hmm. move that much protein? We have, so we have a pretty, pretty even split between D2C, Amazon and retail um, just in terms of velocities and overall revenue. Um the the best channels are definitely your FDM and your you know your natural gourmet grocer. Um, we're gonna find out. We like we just launched in in March in Dick, so it's been it's been relatively relatively um you know we haven't been there that long yet. But we do think it'll do well. I mean, Dick's Sporting is lean, leaning heavily into their sports nutrition. They have pretty flushed out sports nutrition sets in um, at least 150. Well, no, we're rolling out into 115 locations initially. And they have flushed out sports nutrition sets in the 550 of like 700 plus total Dick Sporting Goods. So, I mean, they have, I mean, Ghost is in Dick Sporting Goods. They have Optimum Nutrition. They have BSN. Um, so they do have, like I said, some pretty flushed out sports nutrition sets and, and they're leaning heavily into it going forward. Um, and then, you know, your, your places like your Wegmans, Giant Eagle, uh, Hy-V, H-E-B, they also have great sports nutrition sets too. And that they've significantly improved those selections over the past couple of years. Yeah, we've seen a lot of people very excited about um, 
these companies leaning into the the, the better quality, the better uh, assortments. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I keep hearing is that these these grocery end caps and grocery selections are like better looking than retail and sports supplements. Like like these guys uh, design planograms that look way better than anywhere else, and it pops off the shelves and it really grabs people's attention. My my worry is comes down to like consumer education or cons- customer mm-hmm. service in these stores, um, which I think really plays into like having flagship products, mm-hmm. um, not having seventy five SKUs in there, just having you know your protein, your, your whatever it is, your easily digestible and conveyable products that people can understand when they look at it. And you mentioned um, the planograms. Brand blocks are huge. Anytime you can get a brand block is such a big win when all your products are right there on top of each other on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, that way, I mean, your loyal consumers can find you, and then you're so much more likely to catch the eye of somebody who's never seen your product before, too. Um, so those planograms are, are so important. And uh, a lot of a lot of the the category managers at these retailers, especially the Wegmans category manager, I mean, he does his homework. He is tuned. In, he might listen to Price Plow. He is tuned into sports nutrition and the supplements. I mean, he knows ashwagandha. He knows. Um, what pre-workouts are popular like he's he, it's fun to go into meetings with him because he definitely knows his stuff yeah yeah i i it's very interesting to see how these category managers in different industries hours and outside of it treat this industry um, yeah you know we, we were talking with a brand who had lost a major athlete a couple months back and went into a pretty major retailer and they kind of it kind of got, got dropped in the conversation that they had they lost this athlete category managers and this is within our own industry we're like we don't even know who that is but you know like it is so i asked the question like is it important for these people to know trends is it important for them to know maybe people or, or whatever because like, if they're watching the velocity of their own products sometimes these these retails you know, retailers become their own little ecosystems Mm-hmm. on their own where they're you know they're they're kind of like immune to like the, the recent tiktok trend uh because they have their own sales culture on their own it's a good point and it's cool too i mean it's it's part of my job is to do my homework and, and to know the category manager as best i can uh because some you know in, in some of the smaller regional grocers like the conventional grocers it might be you know a, fi- a 55 year old woman who is in charge of hbc health and beauty care when it when it, and it the terminology matters too. Some retailers call their set sports nutrition. Some call it health and beauty care. They just kind of lump the protein with the toothpaste and it's all the same thing. And it's a 55 year old lady who just kind of handles all of it. So when I go in a meeting with her, I know I have to sell the product this way. And she probably cares more about the data than the actual ingredients. Um, she cares more about the velocities than the actual USDA certification of our protein powder. Whereas when I'm going into a meeting with the buyer at Wegmans, who I know is in touch with sports nutrition and, and supplements, he wants to know about our ashwagandha and how much caffeine is in that that pre-workout product that you guys have. And, um, you know, can you show me your USDA or your USDA certifications? And um, so it's just, you know, kind of tailoring your sales pitch to what category manager you're going into as well is, is also important. That's awesome. So preparation is key for these kinds of things. Oh, yeah. How do you get in these guys' door? Like, how, how do you get to the attention of these? That's a great question. There is no one answer to that. Um, any, I've done every, anything as far as cold, cold messaging people on LinkedIn, cold calling the, the headquarters stores themselves. Um, and then that's, that's the hard way to do it. The easy way to do it is you have brokers that already have established relationships with the category managers. And then you just lean heavily on your brokers for that but it runs the entire spectrum of cold calls to broker relationships and everything in between. Um, 
<laughs> kind of a cool story. Uh, we're trying, I won't say the, the name of the retailer, but there's one retailer that I've really been trying to get into for a while. And I, I knew who the, um, who the category manager was there that I needed to target. She wasn't responding to any, anything that I was doing. Um, found out that she was currently uh, pregnant. She was on pregnancy leave. Don't ask me how I found that out, but she was on pregnancy leave. We had a little cost um, maternity gift basket made up for her. We made her a little cost onesie and put in some samples and a, a, wrote, her, wrote, a hand, wrote her a nice card, uh, mailed it off to her. And guess who has a meeting in May with this retailer that we've been trying to get into for a while. So, I mean, it, it is literally, there is no one answer on how you get your foot in the door. You just, you just get your foot in the door. Love that. You are a true salesman. That, that That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks for telling that story. Don't get too many ideas out there, folks. But no, you um, I, I figured you were going to mention LinkedIn first. That's that's where you're quite prolific. It seems to be um a stud social network for you. I'm not sure if you're doing anything else on uh, other social networks, but can you I, I would like we've also recently noticed probably a lot later than you figured it out that LinkedIn is a great place oh, cool. for us to meet like minds. Um, And, you know, over the last couple of years, kind of realized that most like all my friends are in this industry. Like my, my Facebook friends, it's really LinkedIn friends at this point yeah. for me. And it, it took me way too long to figure that out. Um, <laughs> so like, yeah, how did you start doing all this? So you have, I'm looking at you, everyone's got 500 plus connections, but you have 2,600 followers as well beyond all the connections. And for, um, for, yeah, a guy who's out there, you're hustling, selling. And yeah. so it's just like, I think people love watching the story. So how did, how did this all like happen? Yeah, I mean, to, to Ben's point, that personal brand, I mean, it definitely pays off. Um, I just kind of hustling on LinkedIn. And it is powerful when you learn how to, to leverage LinkedIn. You can do some pretty incredible things with it. As far as reach goes, it's definitely my favorite social media platform by far. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm active on Instagram as well, but LinkedIn is definitely my favorite by far. Um, what's cool is whenever, you know, you can see how many impressions your posts get, but what's more than that is it, it tells you exactly who likes your post. So, I mean, if, if I post, you know, we just launched into Dick Sporting Goods and I post a little cool graphic that our marketing team makes, uh, I can see, hey, the buy, the category manager at Academy Sports just liked it. I probably need to reach out to them pretty soon to see if, you know, can capitalize on that momentum at Dick Sporting Goods into Academy Sports, for example. So, yeah, it, it is very powerful. Um, I try to post, you know, three times a week. I typically aim for like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, but I'm not going to force it either. If I don't have anything good to post, I won't post. So I, I don't really think that much into it, but I definitely do try to use it for everything that it's worth. Um, especially, like I said, seeing who viewed my profile, seeing who's liking my post. If it's category managers or buyers at, you know, target retailers, that is that is good information to be able to have. And LinkedIn is is awesome for being able to provide that. I love LinkedIn just for little notes of things that I've thought of that day, like little um, anecdotes or little experiences from business. Uh, it, it seems like my biggest posts are not my things that I think are going to be huge, but just the ones that, you know, I, I share a thought that I had from the day and uh, people can just relate to it. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I, I think to to be honest and fair, like there are probably about three people on LinkedIn that have a similar job to what Mike and I do. Very, it's Ryan Buckeye and Shane Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so like, like sharing hyper-specific things, like most people can't appreciate that kind of stuff, but sharing uh, like relatable things about, you know, starting my Monday with a cold plunge or, you know, like the little things about business. Uh, people, I, I just, I love sharing that uh, with other people and working together. Um, 
my least favorite part is the cold calling on LinkedIn. Uh, which yeah, is so I mean, I, you know, being in sales, like, you got to do it sometimes. But so the thing I will say about that is, and I get sold to, and I'm in sales, right? So people will cold DM me, and I'm in sales. Like if if you're trying to sell to a salesman, you probably didn't do your homework, and that yeah. bothers the crap out of me, man. That is my biggest pet peeve is when somebody when somebody's trying to sell me logistics or trying to sell me shipping or trying to sell me packaging, no, I'm in sales. Why are you trying to sell to a salesman? Yeah. So that is what I will say is do your homework and make sure you are targeting the right person. Make sure you are targeting the decision maker. And if you're not, and I've done this in the past too, where I'll say, Hey, I know you're not my target, but can you point me in the right direction? Can you get me in contact with the buyer that I'm looking for? Yeah. So that I've done, but like when, when, when somebody's trying to sell to a salesman, they just didn't do their homework. And that's that's where I get annoyed. And that's what you're making sell you're making salesmen everywhere look bad. And come on, man. Yeah. I, I've had people email me asking about, you know, uh, they really liked the location that Price Bonnet has as an office and they're asking yeah, about no, uh yeah. cleaning services for our beautiful yeah. new building. And I I love to ask them what the address is of this office that they <laughs> like I, I love I love going along with it, but I mean I don't know. My, my, my pronouns on LinkedIn are don't cold call and they still cold call. So <laughs> at this point, you know, it's just kind of part of, uh, I, I also think, uh, I, I got the premium membership to LinkedIn, which I don't know if you did that yet, no. but I got so much more spam once I started doing really? that. Yeah. Huh. But we've also done really well with business because of LinkedIn. So I'm, yeah, it's Double one of those things right? It, it just comes with the territory. Um, how, how do you, how do you use, do you, do you use LinkedIn most often for finding leads for sales or have the, have there been other benefits that you've gotten from it? Um, yeah, I would say definitely most often for, for finding leads for sales. Um, I mean, I, but yeah, there have been a plenty of other benefits from it too. Kind of like you said, it, it's in today's mostly virtual world. LinkedIn is like what was the water cooler in the office. Like there's plenty of people out there giving good information, giving good tips, uh, just, you know, offering up their free experience and free knowledge. I mean, I've definitely learned a lot from LinkedIn um, and how to ma- and how to manage CPG and how to sell CPG. Um, yeah, there there are plenty of people out there that that have really informative, really detailed posts. Um, Mark Samuel is a guy at I One Organics. I don't know. I was posts, just thinking yeah. of him. Yeah, <laughs> he's the man on LinkedIn. Some of his posts are incredibly insightful, incredibly deep. He's also kind of funny too, so it's a little bit of a win win. Yeah, that's he's awesome. A good there. Yeah, I, I love following him. He does a lot of cool things, and he's so transparent about his business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one thing I love about LinkedIn is people will share like, you know, their wins, they'll show their, their, their losses, but some people will share like, like legit hard numbers on Mm -hmm. how they're doing. And Mark is one of those guys that will be super transparent. Um, you know, he's, he's, he, he, he just admitted like a couple of weeks ago. He's like, I don't have a huge marketing budget. I don't have all of these opportunities, but this is, this is what I do have. And I, I really enjoy, uh, his take on stuff. So if you're into business on LinkedIn, he's a great follow. Yeah, in today's world where you can kind of teach yourself anything off of YouTube, you can also teach yourself a ton about business just off of LinkedIn and following the right people who are transparent with that information, like you said. For sure. All right. So I know I know Mike wants to start moving towards the hundred miler. Uh, so <laughs> I think we were supposed to talk about that way back in the beginning. We just jumped down seven. No, we're good. Yeah. No, business first, of course. But yeah, you're so busy. How do you even find time to train for I, I don't even know where to begin. Like what yeah, you. I assume you've run a marathon before this, or yeah, multiple. Yeah. And I've, so, I've run, I've run three marathons. I've done, I don't know, maybe ten or so triathlons. I did, I did a full distance Ironman, nice. um, which is also yeah, a pretty difficult thing to do. 
Uh, I did, a, I did, this was my third ultra marathon. So technically an ultra marathon is anything over 26.2 anything more than a marathon is considered an ultra marathon. So I've done 37 miler, a 50 miler, and then this hundred miler. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I trained for it specifically, I would say for the last six months before. So I ran all winter, which actually ended up being very beneficial because um, it dropped down to 17 degrees overnight during the hundred miler. Um, but I, like I said, I ran all winter. So I was kind of prepared for that. I would typically put in like, I don't know, anywhere from like 40 to 60 miles a week. And then I would also still lift weights like three, three or four days a week too, just to try to keep some strength and some weight and size on as much as I could uh, when I was running that much. Um, but yeah, I just kind of tapered up for it and then just handled it the day of. I mean, I knew, I knew what I was getting myself into the, the 50 miler that I did about a year ago. Uh, it was tough, but I knew as soon as I finished the 50 miler, I was like, I could go way further than that. And that's kind of what you know started snowballing this idea to do the hundred miler. Okay, so how many people is it broken into age groups or any of that stuff, or is it just like a bunch of people? How many were there? Yeah, so there was no age groups on this one. Um, Forty six people started it, seventeen people finished. Uh, I finished fifth overall, so fifth Congrats. out of seventeen or forty six or however you want to measure that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, it got it got pretty nasty uh, overnight. So. Um, I mean, I, I, I ran probably the first, I don't know, I want to say 60 miles and I was fine. And then, uh, sun went down and it dropped down to 17 degrees and it snowed like, like, you know, snow squalls intermittently throughout the night. Um, and it made to the point where my, my water bottle froze on me while I was out there, my shoelaces, my, my shoelaces literally froze. I remember it after the night was over, it was maybe about 6am, maybe 80 80 miles in at this point. And uh, I remember I, I got to an aid station and I sat down. And uh, so first of all, big shout out to my dad. He, he kind of crewed me for the whole thing. He would meet me at aid stations, you know, try to take care of me as best as he could. Um, Was he like driving alongside yeah, he, or yeah, but he's not pacing? Me. He's no, know. no, no driving. Yeah. And then he would just meet me at an aid station. Um, but anyway, so I, I get, we get to an aid station you know, around 6 a.m. as the sun's starting to come up and about 80 miles in at this point. And I remember sitting down thinking, I need to change my socks. They're, they're wet all night. My feet are just wrecked right now. I need to, you know, fresh pair of socks is going to do me wonders right now. So I sat down in a chair and I'm trying to take my shoes off. I could not untie my shoes. My shoelaces were literally frozen solid. I'm like, dad, try to untie my shoes. He couldn't untie my shoes. My shoelace, they were frozen solid. So I was like, screw it, not changing my socks. Got back up and just kept going. Um, you, okay. Are there any like crazy rules? Like, could you just rip the shoes off and have, did you have a backup pair of shoes or was I, I could have, uh, I didn't have a backup pair of shoes. I know. Oh, and okay. like, like I said, I mean, the, those shoes were not coming out. The shoelaces were not yeah. coming un, un, unfrozen anytime soon. It was nasty overnight. We you're running overnight. Like, were there yeah. any breaks or was there, uh, did you have a tent with you or this is just walking, running yeah, throughout um, so 17 it, degrees? Yeah. Just, just going from, um, the starting line to the, the finish line, hundred miles. There is, I mean, you can stop if you want, you can take a break if you want, but your the clock is still going. People are, there is no like designated break time. You just go indefinitely until you finish. And there are aid stations There are aid stations about every, I don't know, every five to eight to 10 miles, there, there would, there would be an aid station that were, was manned by volunteers all, all throughout the night. So, and that would, but that almost became a trap because you're out there in the cold at 17 degrees. You've been running for 20 hours at this point. Uh, you're hungry, you're tired, you're freezing cold and you get to an aid station and they have like a little tent in the middle of the woods and you know, they have heaters in there and there's food in there and there's some nice lady taking care of you with everything. So you sit down 
And so many people would just go into those aid stations and they would get trapped in there, but they would tap out. They'd be, I'm not going back out there after getting warm and getting food. And this lady's taking care of me. Like, so those aid stations almost became a trap. I would try to stay no more than five to 10 minutes at an aid station. Um, just so I didn't fall victim to that trap because I, I think that's why a lot of people ended up quitting. What kind of intervals did you have between these uh, breaks? Like how, were, were you stopping at every aid station? Yeah, I would definitely, I mean, well, at first, the first, like I said, 60 miles, no, I wouldn't stop at every one because I was, I was feeling pretty fine. But then throughout the night, I would definitely stop at every one to try to warm up, make sure my fingers don't go completely numb, um, try to get some type of nutrition. Because at that point too, you're so behind on calories, you're just trying to cram anything into your mouth that you can. And then that was another thing overnight was the food at the aid station started to freeze too. So I remember pulling into one aid station and seeing an orange, like an orange peel or, uh, you know, sliced oranges on the table. I'm like, oh, it's going to be so good right now. And I grabbed it, threw it in my mouth and just crunch. It was ice orange. It was like an icicle orange. So didn't really hit the spot, but, um, yeah. So those aid stations, yeah, I would try to stay no more than than five to 10 minutes at each one. So you did like 60 miles like in a chunk was pretty much like, nonstop yeah for the first 60 and what were would, the next kind of like chunks like from there yeah that, so that's a good question because then that, that's when you know it became yeah. nighttime too so uh i would say maybe just try to knock it out like five mile chunks at a time at that point like the last overnight and then when the, when the sun came back up the next morning you're able to go you know 10 15 miles again at like a chunk at a time but overnight yeah i would definitely stop and take my time as, as much as possible so uh, one thing that I'm super curious about, which I don't know if anyone else is, is going to help anyone else, but like, uh, what kind of layering were you using? Like, how, how did huh. you structure that? Yeah, good, great question too. So um, I literally wore like six layers probably. I had like a, yeah. a base layer that was like a very tight, like Under Armour type shirt. Um, then I had like a long sleeve shirt over top of that. And then like a thicker long sleeve shirt over top of that. And then um, Overnight, I had like a windbreaker jacket, and then I even put on a hoodie overnight too, just to because I knew it was going to be nasty cold. So I did. I was wearing like six layers at one point. Yeah, and you have to. Sun came up the next morning. I ended up ditching the hoodie, and I think I finished wearing the windbreaker jacket and everything underneath it. But yeah, definitely, definitely layered up overnight. Did you have a structure to your nutrition, but going into this, did you have any idea during the the race what you were going to be doing, or were you just kind of grabbing whatever was at these aid stations? Uh, I d definitely had a plan at first, but you know, it's that famous Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth. So you're, you're 70 miles in it's 2 AM in the morning and, and you're at an aid station and there's pretzels and peanut butter sandwiches and pickles and those goo, those hammer nutrition goo gels. And you're just shoving everything into your mouth at that point, just to try to get, you know, some type of calories down. Um, yeah, I think nutrition wise, I, I held up pretty good. I, I did rely a lot more on the gels than I thought I would just because like they were just so easy to shove a handful of them in your pocket and you could eat them anywhere. Uh, they're quick and they actually didn't freeze. So they didn't freeze solid overnight. So that was, that was nice too. I think the real question a lot of people are going to have is how much caffeine did you consume during this time? Oh, a lot. And then actually back to, to what we talked about earlier, I had um, tea, cream and diamine as well. So uh, I still have from when I worked at compound solutions, I still had a, like a pill bottle full of um, the blended pills yeah yeah so just a, a, a pill bottle full of um tea cream dynamine and caffeine just that we used as a, a proof of concept there and i i popped probably i don't know six of those throughout the course of the race so, yeah that's awesome awesome so what about uh so many more questions okay so what was your like pre pre-race nutrition did you load up like crazy or you maybe don't want to be too heavy but you know you're yeah. going to need a crap load of, of calories what was the plan 
Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a great question. You guys are asking, I mean, the perfect questions. I figured you guys would sports nutrition supplements. Yeah. Perfect question. But yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to load up too heavy. Um, I think that morning, like, I mean, the night before I obviously had a huge carb heavy dinner, but that morning I think all I had was like a bagel with peanut butter and like a protein bar or something. I didn't, didn't really go in heavy that morning. Cause to your point, I did not want stuff in my stomach sloshing around that whole, that whole morning. So my, my focus was more so to eat continuously throughout the day as opposed to just like load up that morning. And when you, and so when you came out of the gates, like was there a, a an official starter with a starter gun, all that stuff, 46 mm-hmm. people go out. Mm-hmm. Um, what was about your pace starting? Like what was your, your marathon pace for the first yeah. in the beginning? Yeah, I would say that I would probably, I'd say I probably knocked out the first 60 miles, probably like a nine minute per mile pace. Um, awesome. yeah, I, yeah, which is, it's not that fast. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a very slow con. I mean, I could go, like I said, I probably just went 60 miles at that pace. Um, that's a pretty comfortable pace for me. I could run at that pace for a very long time. Um, yeah. Like, and then when the sun went down too, that, that brings in your visibility is gone. So you have your headlamp obviously, but that's like 20 feet of visibility max. So, I mean, you're really kind of power hiking throughout the night. Now there were points definitely throughout the night where if it was flat, um, I would run or even like a, a small downhill I would run, but by that point, yeah, it's, it's a lot of power walking throughout the night just because you really can't see. You're also, this is a cross country course. You're in the woods on a single lane hiking trail. So like you got to pay attention to make sure you're staying on the trail. They did have it marked pretty well where every 50 yards or so they would have a little um, reflective flag planted in the ground. I mean, you still have to stay alert because there are periods throughout the night, you know, especially two, three, four AM where like you're kind of zoning out. You're like, you feel like zombie mode where you're like falling asleep as you're walking. Um, so you really have to like stay alert and make sure you're staying on the right path and everything. Did at any point you consider, uh, I don't know, doing this in a warm season? <laughs> I, I think, I mean, I definitely would have definitely would have improved my time by several hours if I would have done this in, in better weather. But I think, I mean, to be honest, I kind of welcomed it. Um, I, I knew it was going to make it that much more difficult. If you're going to run a hundred miles, I mean, you know, you're obviously not looking for easy at that point anyway. Um, so yeah, I was, I was kind of happy. I, I didn't, I, I didn't think that there would only be 17 people that finished it out of the 46 that started, but that was definitely um, because of the cold, because of the harsh conditions overnight played a huge factor for that. Were you like, yeah. Were you all alone the whole time or was there any, any camaraderie? Like, did you get passed? Was there anyone passed uh, anyone you passed or is it just like, like, you know, ghosts out there? There was, there was one point. So, I mean, during the day you're kind of by yourself, it's not that big of a deal, but there was one point throughout the night where I kind of, there were two other runners that were kind of running at the same pace as me throughout the night. And we kind of hung with each other from like one aid station to the next. So for about five miles, but then they actually spent a shorter time at that aid station than I did. So they kept going and I lost them. So for the whole rest of the night, I was, I was by myself and then I ended up passing one of them back the next morning. Um, so I must not have been that far behind them, but, uh, yeah, for, for, I would say probably 80% of the night I was, I was out there by myself. Yeah. Awesome. So when you pass them, like, how are these like really competitive? Are you like running to win or are you running to survive? Like I, but me, when I pass them, I'd be like, Hey, good morning. Like, is, or was it like, not like that? No, it, it was pretty friendly. The guy who won, it was incredible. He did it in 22 hours. So I did it in 29 hours, 20 minutes or whatever fifth place the guy who won did it in like just under 23 hours and he beat the course record by two hours so this guy was nuts he actually they i didn't talk i didn't get to talk to him or anything 
but everybody at the finish line said he actually went temporarily blind, which is actually not that uncommon in a hundred miler. It's, it's some type of edema. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but you can look it up. It's a real thing. Um, but he actually went temporarily blind for like the last 10 or so miles where he, he could like barely open his eyes and he did this thing in like 23 hours. So he was obviously very competitive, but Mike, to your point, everybody else was kind of just like, Hey, we're in this together. We're in this suck together. We're going to be friendly. We're going to help each other out. So when I, when I passed him the next morning, he was hurt and like his knee was all jacked up. So I was like, dude, you all right? I was, and he was he kind of talking like, yeah, I fell last night pretty hard. My knee's all jacked up right now. And it's like, well, you know, we only got like six miles left, man. You're going to finish hanging there. And then you know, I passed. It, it, it was friendly at that point, but the guy who won was obviously in it to win. He mm -hmm. damn went blind. So what about you? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, I have that. Do they, do they drug for test for this? Like, is this <laughs> like, like, uh, no? I, I don't know. It sounds like the kind of thing like like EPO would like really help with or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like anything. I, I feel like this is like like Tour de France, but like running and cold and like it's terrible. Like I, 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 I thought you meant maybe like are they drug testing us for like psychedelics to make sure we're in our right mind when we sign? Yeah, up? Like, I mean that for sure too. I mean. I don't know. It's, it's just the concept to me. I'm also thinking of all of the ways that we could game this with supplements, like like all of oh, yeah. like how could we put you in a more comfortable state for this? And how they make, are there any are there any supplements that have data for keeping you warm overnight? Is that is there anything? Uh, out there's yeah, got to I mean, be ways to raise body temperature. I mean, I don't know how much how significant it is with this kind of situation. Hmm. But yeah, like, I mean, I mean, there's definitely thermogenic ingredients, and yeah, there yeah. there are. But yeah. It, to what point and how long will it last and yeah how much can it how much can it work but um, I, I assume the guy that won this does a lot of these like this yeah, is like yeah. his thing right so like to yeah. me like there's i think there's room for improvement on like the like Everybody. like you didn't know you i don't think like like i think the people that are really good at this probably really really understand like clothing for this stuff like for the for the cold and stuff and like there's probably like a lot of nuances to shaving off another half hour right yeah well, especially um, over such a long distance because everything adds up. I mean, yeah, like you, your the weight of your clothes adds up over a hundred miles. Like, yeah, I mean, at this point, you're talking about a lot of a, a lot of variables. I mean, the, the first thing I thought of was like, if you had done this in the springtime, you would have probably saved hour. at least an hour, right? Like, yeah, that that's a, a huge. I mean, it's that's this risk on its own. Honestly, it's not even like you know a, a hurdle. It's like like your health is at risk there. Yeah, yeah. It's funny to me though that like. It's not funny, but it's interesting that that many people dropped because, like, I imagine the natural course is doing Ironmans before this, right? So, like, uh, yeah. yeah, to me, Ironmans are like that's one of the craziest things on earth. My brother did one, and like that, that is wild to me. Like, so to to have to, to have what forty six people down to seventeen, like that's that's a lot of people who I imagine have done other hard things. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. That's, that's a great point is like, it's not just 46 people off the couch. It's 46 endurance athletes. And yeah. It's, and it's only it seems seven like the cold was probably a huge factor. For sure. Yeah. Not everyone's built for it. For sure. Yeah. Where was this? Uh, did you mention where it was? It was, it was here near Pittsburgh, uh, raccoon Creek state park, which is maybe, I don't know, an hour outside of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's incredible. Awesome. And how are you? How did you recover? How are you? I, I assume you were plenty banged up. That one guy fell, hurt his knee. You yeah. must have been a some some level of a, a mess. Can yeah. You get into uh, so I, I mean, I'm I'm fully recovered now. I'm definitely good to go now. Uh, it took me probably a week to feel like eighty percent again. Um, yeah. So I mean, the recovery part wasn't too bad. It, 
there were weird things that were happening though. Like my left ham, like my left hamstring down to like the top of my calf was like purple and almost like I had like, like tore it off the bone, but I wasn't running fast enough at any point to tear a hamstring, to pull a hamstring. So like, I think it, I don't know if it was just like overuse or what, but my le- the whole back left, the whole back of my left leg was, was purple and bruised, which was weird. Hmm. And then I had really bad indigestion for like the first two or three days. I woke up the first two or three nights with like cold sweats in the middle of the night. Um, and I had no appetite at all for like the yeah. first four or five days, which I thought was the weirdest part. I thought I was going to be ravenously hungry after I finished, but I was like not hungry at all. That was the weirdest part to me. That's that's uh, ironically like in line with the like my highest level of like powerlifting was like mm-hmm. nausea, uh, lack of appetite, and just like almost like CNS like over yeah. fatigue. Yeah, yeah. you know, like, See, like yeah, think- that seems to be a, a, the case with some of us leaner types too. Like when um when we really over endure ourselves, the the appetite kind of just shuts down. I find this with my daughter and I going swimming, and I, I work her pretty hard. And like I'm like, you have to eat, otherwise she's just a mental train wreck. And I see it; I, it happens to a few of us. So it's kind of a, I don't know. It's it's an interesting case. And so, did you try to force food in? Or yeah, just- yeah, I, I knew I had to just to. I knew it would help me recover as well. And then what I also did, um, I kind of did like even like literally the next day. Um, my wife and I, we have a spin bike in the basement. So I hopped on the spin bike for an hour just mm-hmm. to move my legs, just to get some blood flow, yeah. just to try to get back to normal as fast as possible. And yeah, Ben, to your point, it kind of seems like anybody, regardless if it's in like extreme endurance or extreme strength, when you're pushing your body to the max like that, like you are going to have your CNS be pretty banged up afterwards. Yeah. Tim Gritzman turned me on to a choline post-workout for these things, because you will mm-hmm. obviously deplete a lot of uh, acetylcholine uh, from either, you know, muscle uh activation or just you know running obviously but uh that that was a big one for me i would have this like dull brain fog at first and if i really pushed it hard i'd i'd like lose like my cns would just be fried um and and i got a lot of my my appetite back when i started doing that but also um electrolytes post-workout and this is a big thing that stan efforting had had apparently gotten from i think connor mcgregor's nutritionist was that like however much liquid you lost during your workout and during a fight camp, this is obviously a little more insignificant, but like you have to replenish that with electrolytes, that, that poundage. And he would actually put um, like fructose and glucose in a, in a mixture with it, as well as uh, caffeine to increase uh, absorption. A lot of people don't know that caffeine increases absorption of electrolytes. So there's a, a there, there's obviously no good opportunity for you during your hundred miles to replenish anything that you've been losing. So yeah, I think those peanut butter sandwiches were probably the best thing you did. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely helped the, um, uh, the mental side too. Everybody loves a good PB and J. So yeah, seriously, seriously. Uh, Man. so I, I, I am up to date. I, I, I'm glad we got in like the, uh, the military stuff. M- Mike, did you have any other questions? No, I, I, I just, I'm blown away. Congratulations. What's your next race? What are you going to do? Yeah, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm endurance out for now. Honestly, (laughs) I, I, uh, I really think I'm, I've been starting to get back into lifting heavier again and that's been fun. So I think I kind of want to go in the opposite direction. I I love just kind of pushing my body as far as I can in either direction and and, seeing what happens. I'm I'm always up for new challenges. I kind of say that I have like, uh, fitness ADD. I can't stay focused on like one thing for, for too long. It's always like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? So yeah, I don't know. I might go in the other direction and start to lift some heavy weights again. I don't know. We'll see. Totally awesome. get that. Putting yourself into different situations, but like putting the same amount of passion into it is yeah, uh, exactly. 
It's always a new talent. It keeps it keeps things fresh, right? I don't you don't get bored that way. Well, yeah, and I like you know as someone who like I'm not not that I was like the best ever at what I did, but like reached you know a pretty significant level. Like it's a point where you're just like, man, I I want to learn something new. You mm-hmm. know, you do the same like running is the same step. I mean, I, I, there's nuances to it, but you're doing the same thing every single day. Mm-hmm. So like learning a new discipline or or applying yourself in a different direction, I think is really good for your mental state. I think my, my ultimate bucket goal or bucket list item is to through hike the Appalachian trail one day. And I always say I'm saving that for when I'm older and retired. That way it'll kind of be my motivation to stay in shape and stay healthy for the rest of my life. That, that's, that's my ultimate bucket list item is to, to do that. And that's kind of my motivation for it. So. That's a really cool point because um, I was listening to a Hoogman lab podcast a couple months back with Peter Atia and something that he said that uh, meant a lot to me was that, um, like to decide what you want to do when you're 60 and 70, because when you're at 30, you're training for that. Like, like whether mm-hmm. you know that or like it or not, like what you're able to do at 70 is dictated by what you're doing at 30. And you absolutely have to be periodizing and working towards that 70 year old gold. Yeah. I like when he talks about, um, he, he needs to be able to do a 30 pound goblet squat when he's of grandfather age. Cause that's how that's basically picking up a yeah. toddler. So if you can only do a 35 pound goblet squat right now and you're 45 pounds, you have like no room to lose any strength for the next, let's just say 25 years or whatever it is. So that's a, it's a, it's a big challenge. So I love putting that in perspective and, and like realizing that in my forties, I need to like gain and not lose as much possible strength as possible because when you hit the top of that you know at some point it's you're going nothing but downhill and you want that downhill to be as, as slow as possible so you're kind of got a similar thing happening there and it's a, it's a great goal to have yeah i think that um i bring up strength training a lot with a lot of people because like stre- strength uh, is a is a longevity drug in itself mm-hmm. you know strength is like mm-hmm. you know when you lose that that that's one of the greatest determinants for longevity but I think, unfortunately, because of my feats of strength, when I talk about strength training for people, they think I'm trying to tell them to squat 700 pounds, which is like the last thing that I'm trying to tell anyone to do. Mm-hmm. Believe me, I, I wish I hadn't done it some days. But I, th- I think that like a very, very simple progression for people is going to be like, like work huge dividends. Like if you can work to whatever, whatever you deadlift now, if you can work to put another 45 pound plate on that in five years, like that's a great goal, you know, and it's super attainable for most people. And just being able to like, you know, have, have, have strength in your, your posterior chain is going to change your life. Honestly, our, our college strength and conditioning coach, he would always say strength is the glass. Everything else is the water. And I love that analogy. That kind of just reminded me about where you said yeah. this now. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I, as I do jujitsu now, and it's like this huge controversy, mm-hmm. like to be strong in this, because obviously like you can kind of out muscle a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but like, it's a great analogy for literally everything else. Because like, you know, you get into, I mean, on a literal plane, like you get into a scuffle at a bar, like the stronger person is usually going to win. But also like most things in life, strength helps out a lot with, you know, like, like just things going on in life. You gotta, you gotta pick something up. You gotta pick up your daughter. You gotta pick up whatever. It's a really important tool to have. Was that, is that Mark Bell that says strength is never a weakness? Yeah. Yeah, And and, and weakness is never a strength. Yeah. yeah, I I I I'm not a big fan of Mark Bell's, but I think that's a great quote. It's, it's clever, yeah. It's, it's clever yeah. Quote. yeah. Ben, any plans to compete in in BJJ at all? Uh, I was going to on the 29th <laughs> of this month, um, oh. but I uh, I messed up my shoulder a little bit, and uh, I, I 
I, I think it's like my ego. Like, I don't know if I want to compete until did, I know that did, I'm going to win. Did you not tap when you were, when you should have tapped? Is that how you messed up your shoulder? It's, this is uh, no one's fault. And I'm really trying not to like blame anyone for it, but I did tap and the person didn't feel it. And so they cranked oh. it a little bit harder and my shoulder's just not happy. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, and I, I, and I, and when I went into this, Mike was like, you got to tap early. You got to make sure you're tapping. And for the That's record, how I messed up my neck. I'm, yeah. yeah bad. I tapped really early. Like I was tapping and it was like, as it was happening, I was like, this is what Mike warned me about. Um, <laughs> but no, but I, I'm not actually, I'm, I'm not in a bad spot. I'm not in that in, in like whatever, but, um, I'm super pre preventative because like, I know if I get to a three out of 10, I know it's a really slippery slope to all the way. Um, I saw it happen to Mike and, and I just, I'm very preventative about it. So if there's a chance that I'm not hundred percent, I'm not going to enter myself into a tournament to fight yeah, people, sure. <laughs> but I, I'm super interested in it. I, the, the sport is growing so fast right now. It's like probably one of the fastest growing sports in America. So to, with, with our situation of what we do to be a part of that is, is pretty cool. Um, I don't know. I don't know how, but I, I'd, I'd like to somehow involve it in our content because I think there's a, there's a growing population of those people that probably like like running um really doesn't have a lot of supplements in it yeah which is interesting when you think of supplements you really only think of like bodybuilding and tiktok bodybuilding uh there's there's really it's it's true it's a different sport entirely like like like, like physique <laughs> physique building for the internet but there, there's not a lot of sports where supplements are like really legitimate and so I, I think there's a lot of opportunities for that i i think endurance is is ironically terrible with supplements because mm -hmm. it's like the like literally, if you know what marathon itself is, what the word means, where it comes from, like it's like one of the oldest sports. Like how far can you run? Like the fact that there isn't a really good supplement industry there is is interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. So, Mike, what about you? Plans? You said you're going to get back into the pool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The answer is yes. I'm going to do a Masters swim event. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. So I, I I love it too. Uh, what happened? I started. I, I hit my peak of swimming speed in my late twenties, actually. And that was when all the good swimmers were like retired for a little bit. And then you get in your thirties, I've done a, a few races and like, they start coming back. So all the good swimmers, we come back a little bit slower and fatter, but some of them keep it. And some of the open water swims I've done, man, it's hilarious. Like there's this fat old man just flying by, like they float on water so well. Yeah, so yeah. it does become a huge technique thing. Um, no, yeah, I was, I was, I'm, it's a little different here in Oklahoma for sure, because I, I moved here from, from Texas where there is a bigger swimming community. There's not as much swimming uh, out here. And so a, a couple of races that are a possibility are going to be a decent drive and by decent drives, like two hours. So not a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I am not in the water enough to be confident enough, but I can get in anytime, just race, you know, it just yeah. wouldn't be a time that I'd want. So yeah, it, it, there'll be a master's swim race, something fun to do. And you know, those are kind of a, it, I don't know. I get jacked up into it. You know, I get really excited yeah, and uh, sure. it, it brings it back. So probably done with, uh, I've considered like, it, would I be able to heal up a little bit better and go back in, onto the mat and everything? Cause I really did enjoy it when I was doing it. But um, honestly, I think it's, it's a younger man's game and you get banged up too much. And I, I know I could swim pretty much forever and I could do open water races. I have a pace that I, I can do and never get hurt, you know? So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I would and, yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a thinking man sport. So get in there and I, I come out with good content ideas you so um, it, you should you should do an iron man you already got the hardest part down the i've done i've, I've like actually it. done the swimming leg of triathlons i've split a triathlon with like we find a cyclist find a runner and everything yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm not i i hate the bike um really that's the easiest part mm, well okay so 
No, it's for me. It's, well, yeah, I mean, anyone could ride a bike. So yeah. if I'm not being serious, so yeah, sprint triathlon is no big deal and everything. Everyone just passes me up. It, to me, as the swimmer, I can. I was. I did a couple races where I came out of the water um, in the top three, and then everyone's just whizzing by you. So it's mm-hmm. like the swimming advantage doesn't mean that much. So that was a negative for to and to get good on the bike. It just takes too much time that I don't have. So it's it's just too much seat time. But I did do um, it wasn't a race, but it was the MS 150 event from Houston, to Austin in the late 2000s. And um, I kind of went numb down there for a good month after that. Oh, and I was I used yeah. one of those padded seats and everything. And I'm not doing that ever again. So <laughs> I do not like bike seats and maybe there's better bike seats. Maybe I uh I don't know. Uh, I I, sh- I don't know if Spencer knows much about this, but my my dad's a big cyclist, and uh, bike seats have been a big movement. Um, I, there was a thing about bike seats like leading to like prostate cancer, yeah, especially. Scary. I was yeah. I was well, freaked out. There was probably yeah. no hole in the center of it back then, right? Like it was a solid bike seat. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, now my understanding is that they they have uh, ergonomic. Off. Yeah. Yes. Ergonomic. Yeah. I, I would have, uh, I Yeah. If I had a time machine, I'd probably go back and try to figure that out because that was, that was not a fun month. Like I was, I saw slow progress. So things were coming back, but like I was freaked out. I probably should have gone to a doctor, but being, you know, in my twenties or whatever. And yeah, embarrassed. I didn't, I did, but either way. So I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> really understand that. But yeah. I'll do, if, if anyone out there wants to do, uh, wants me to swim for them. I'm, yeah. I'll train for it. Let's do it. What is, what is the, the order it's uh swim bike run. Swim. Yeah. Swim bike run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, yeah the, the most dangerous stuff first, I guess you'd say. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. But I could, I could understand that like the lead you get out of being the best swimmer is probably not all that important if you aren't great at the other two. Right. If I'm you not... want to be like elite, you got to be elite at everything probably. But if you want to like do really good, you just need to have adequate swimming and not just, you know, just don't die out there and um, be able to be able to to ride your bike strong enough and run enough fast enough after you've like su- uh, suffered in the water, but don't just die out there, you know? That's super yeah. funny because it's the same thing with powerlifting, squat, bench, deadlift. And the hardest, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was like squat. The most dangerous one first, yeah. Yeah, squat was always like my at the be- at the beginning of my career was like the worst, but it was like deadlift was my best. So like I'd like stay in the pack for like squat, bench, and then like deadlift, I'd like pull out of the pack. And I mean, I, I wasn't that strong, but at the end of it, it was it was like great. Squat, okay, squat seven hundred pounds says he's not that strong. At, at the beginning, my my first meet, I squatted four twenty five, and I think I pulled like five eighty five that time. So it was like it was like I got to pull out of the pack on the end. Yeah. Uh, my my last meet, I squatted seven oh five, which was was the second best in the meet. Then benched four twenty, which like hilariously, I was two seventy five for that meet. Four twenty was not a good bench for that meet. Like it was the second heaviest, but when you look at like two seventy fivers, they're normally benching like five hundred pounds. But what's deadlift. the most you ever deadlifted ever? Like not even seven hundred. Seven hundred. No, I actually, if you put if you talk about like like um, you ever see like like block pulls where you slightly yeah, raise yeah. it? Like I yeah. I I've pulled I think seven thirty five. Um, cool. which <laughs> I, I bled That's from awesome. the back of my head when I did that, like, just from like, like the exertion, some sort of pore opened up on my head. I was wearing a tan, um, Oakley used to make these like standard issue, like, like range cap caps, which mm-hmm. was like really, they're really cool. And, uh, the back of, I had like a coyote tan one that just like lit up with blood. And, wow. uh, it was super funny. Cause I went back to my parents' house one time after I moved out and my dad was wearing this really nice tan uh oakley hat and i was like you steal that from me after i moved he's like no i was like is there (laughs) is there a 
stain on the back of that and he's like i don't know where i where i got this stain from like that's my fucking hat that's my blood <laughs> and he didn't want to wear it anymore so i got it back but um yeah yeah that 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 all that internal pressure goes somewhere, you know, yeah, like it's you're, crazy. You, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like the Valsalva maneuver, but like you, yeah, like yeah. you, you innately stick the tongue in your back of your mouth and you, you crush and you, you, you either get hemorrhoids or you bleed from somewhere is what happens. And uh, most powerlifters have done both. So, yeah, you're like uh, there was a video a while ago of Larry Wheels where he was deadlifting and there was just bleeding his from his chest, chest, right? Yeah, I yeah. saw that. I and saw people that. were like, that's so unhealthy. And I was like, it's, it's a momentary increase in blood pressure. It's not that bad, but like it, yeah. it looks really, really bad. <laughs> it looks terrifying. Yeah. 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 I remember like reaching the back of my head and I was like, oh, that's not good. So, so that's why I don't powerlift anymore. <laughs> my blood pressure is now back. Now, to now you just, now you just try to choke people out and have them not choke you out. So it is, I thought that it was going to be a safer sport for me because yeah, it's, it's called not. the gentle art, you know, it's not, it's not, it's definitely yeah. not. But it is the craziest. Every, we all, we all pick our poisons, right? Like running a hundred miles probably isn't healthy. Um, yeah. Riding your to the point of stuff going numb down there isn't healthy. So pick your poison, right? We got to live. Mm -hmm. Apparently, but yeah, I, I think it is an important, it is an important thing for men to find something to compete yeah. in. And that's, yeah. it's definitely something that I've lacked in my life. So I appreciate you asking that um, yeah. because I get so wired up when I'm out there, but it's just the whole you sign up, got to do, just got to do it. You know, right. Cody, something our videographer is going to be a show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an important thing for guys. We don't have that. Sure it is. Yeah. I do think that, um, and I'm new to this. So like, I, I've, of course, I'm like, I'm on like a soapbox for this, but I, I really do believe that like a martial art or like a, a, a combat sport is important for men to mm -hmm. at some point do. Um, you know, I, I was never afraid of confrontation, but the concept of someone being in my personal space was, was a good thing for me to learn about and how to control that. Uh, and I also just think that like understanding what your body can do and, and, and that kind of system is really important for men. I, I, I walked into that gym thinking like, I, I rarely have positive experiences with other men in gyms just because of like my size. And I have a bit of a resting dick face and, and most people don't want to be friendly with me, but I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And like, we're all gonna be friends afterwards. But like, you know, you all kind of roll with each other. You choke each other out a couple of times. And like, all of a sudden, everyone's your best friend. It's, it's a really, it's a cool experience with that. But in general, just like competing in a whole, I definitely believe is is good for men. I um I actually dabbled in jujitsu for about six months. I was addicted to it for six months when I was in, in the military. Um, I, was in, I was stationed in Hawaii for a period of time. And um, I actually took classes under Jay Penn, BJ Penn's older brother was, was my coach, was my instructor. Very cool. I got to learn from him, which was amazing. But what you just said is hundred percent true. You guys beat the crap out of each other for an hour straight, hour and a half straight during class. And then you're all best friends after. For me, it was a little bit unique though, being a white guy in Hawaii rolling with, you know, native Hawaiians. Haoli is the native Hawaiian term for like white boy, like derogatory term for white boy. So I was that Haoli in the first three months I was there and I could tell I wasn't exactly welcome, but I kept, you know, getting my ass kicked and I kept coming back for more every day. And eventually I was one of the guys and they, you know, they accepted me and it was, it was cool. It was such a rewarding sport to be a part of. Um, that was kind of right before, you know, the, the pandemic happened. And obviously jujitsu was like the first thing that got shut down because of, you know, everybody panicking about stuff. But yeah, I was like straight addicted to it for six months straight. I literally went five to six days a week for six months straight. I would show up to show up 
you know, the formation, the more with a black eye, like every day. And people are like, what the heck are you doing in your free time? And I'll explain to them, like, I'm addicted to Brazilian jiu-jitsu right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand that addiction. Uh, and I understand the coming back every day. Like I, there were a couple weeks where I was not, you know, I was the nail, not the hammer. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, just showing up again, like with, you know, going home, icing and maybe like you know, licking your wounds a little bit, but getting, getting back there the next day. Like I, I did they haze you? Was it, was it like a, was it like a, well, a it wasn't thing? so much of like, a, like a hazing, like, like nothing like high school hazing type, but it was like, I can tell like when we're like flow rolling, these guys aren't flow rolling with me. And when I'm tapping, they're holding on to stuff for a second or two longer just to, you know, prove a point. Like, Hey, new guy or Hey, yeah. how old? like, you know, I'd been involved with sports my whole life. Like it wasn't anything out of the ordinary to me. Like when you first get on varsity in high school for football, you get the crap kicked out of you and people messing with you is no different. So yeah. But yeah, then I love once you stuff. prove your worth. Yeah. Once you prove your worth, they welcome you and you're, you're a brother to them now. So that's like, that's the good stuff. Like to me, like, like there's a really great, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jim Wendler. Uh, he's a really great strength and conditioning coach. He wrote five, Wendler five through one. And he tells this story, um, the podcast that inspired me to be a podcaster actually is where he told this, but he, uh, he tells a story where when he was like in middle school, his dad was, I think like a janitor at high school or for whatever reason, he was able to get him into the weight room to get him to, he wanted to weightlift. So he brought him in, let him weightlift. And, uh, he was lifted on his own. Nobody would help him or anything. And he lifted for like a whole year. Strength and conditioning coach comes over to him. And was like, he saw his deadlift. He was like, you should do RDLs. They'd be good for you. And like walks away. And that's all he tells him. And like, like six months later, like he, he's strong, whatever. And he asked the guy, he's like, why did, why did you wait so long to tell me like to do this, this, this variation? He's like, you had to earn it. Like you, you mm. can't just come in and just like be one of us. Like I had yep. to see you stick around. And and that's something like, I feel really hardcore in gyms is like, I don't like telling the new guy anything. Cause like they're, they might not stick around. Um, mm -hmm. And, and that, that was something that I really enjoyed about, jiu-jitsu was like becoming a part of that community like all of a sudden like at first like you're you're still like the the white belt trial guy you know i'm still a white belt guy i just have one stripe now you know and being able to like hang around a little bit longer with the people is it's quite awesome yeah that's it you definitely have to earn it that's cool can't hear you mike you're bunk muted <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i i think he might have ran out of power or something yeah, he must have ran out of power. That's funny. His, his lights went off. Well, I think that I am going to have to. Uh, uh, do I have to clear? Not, nod your head if I have to. If I have to close this one out, Mike. Yep. All right. Cool. Well, it's been a, a cool hour and 45. So, uh, yeah. Spencer, uh, could you give us um, maybe your Instagram and how we can contact you if anyone wants to reach out? Yeah. Uh, on Instagram, I'm at slin 46 or then just, you know, look me up on LinkedIn too, Spencer Lynn, happy to connect with anybody in the supplement sports, nutrition world, CPG world. Um, you know, happy to talk retail CPG supplements, sports nutrition anytime too. Awesome. Do you have any upcoming, uh, events or anything like you did with summit that people should be looking out for? Well, I'll be at, um, I'll be at supply side East, uh, next week in New Jersey. I'm not, not speaking or anything. I'll just be attending the event. And then, um, also be rolling into ShopRite out in New Jersey, uh, in April of this, well, this month too, we're rolling out into ShopRite locations, um, across the country, well, across the Northeast. So I'll be at ShopRite doing some activations next week as well. That's awesome. Um, I think I'll be at supply city. So I'll have to see if I can come grab you, but also let me know yeah. what shop rights you're going to super curious. Okay, cool. I, I, I worked a shop right when I was 17. So oh, no way. Yeah. That's super cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, Spencer, thanks so much for your time. We'll, uh, we'll be talking soon. Yeah.
Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. And thanks, Mike.